Hi there, everyone, and welcome to the On the Horizon RC podcast. I'm your host and Horizon CEO, Chris Dickerson. And with me, as always, our marketing director, Steve Petrato. Steve, another month, another podcast. How have you been? Oh, really good, Chris. Uh, kicking off the new season here as it's starting to warm up. I think I woke up today and it was 55 out. So that's a good sign for RC. It means more events and more outside activities. So the team here has been hard at work, uh, just working on all the cool things going on uh, from an events perspective. Um, so yeah, we've been real busy. It's been coming out of the new year is, you know, it's never a dull moment here, as I always say. So it's been a good time. What about you? Oh, same as you, you know, and, and there's probably part of the people listening to this podcast and they heard you say 55 degrees and they're like, oh my goodness, you must have had your coat on. And there's other <laughs> people probably saying, yeah, you know, you probably were wearing shorts. And uh, certainly for those of us in the Midwest, you start to get some, you know, mid and upper 50 degree days, some sunshine and, and you know, you, you get outside a little bit. It just gives you hope and, and excitement that spring is going to make it here and you start building your outdoor. This is all the stuff I want to do list. Um, unlike you, I, w- I was getting some stuff out of the basement last weekend and I had to move my, uh, my habu to get to something. And when I moved it, I thought, I'm going to be flying you soon. It, it, it's, you know, it's going to be yeah. March and we're going to get some good weather. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm ready for winter to be over. I'm ready for spring to be here. Um, but yeah, a lot of, as you know, old, never a dull moment. You, you said it right. So, yep. Yeah. So well, let's talk a little bit about some horizon news. I think the, the big one on my mind, Chris, is the, we just announced the masters of RC on RC nation. Uh, so the, those of you that are a member on rcnation.com, uh, you can check it out. It's actually on the drive portion for now. We're actually going to be adding it to the fly portion. So if you're not a member of RC Nation, go to rcnation.com, select either fly or drive so you can join your specific community. But we have a really awesome series with not only then Dakota Fend talking about how he sets up his race cars, everything from the tools he brings to the track to how he travels, uh, which is really cool series and if you're into racing i think you'll find a lot of value it's only available on rc nation it's nowhere else uh so you got to be a member to watch it it's free so you can check it out but man is it a i watched the whole series the other day before we launched it and i was just like i'm not into racing but this guy really explains it in a way that i get it now and not, not that i could start it and do it tomorrow but if i was into it that's a resource that i would definitely want to watch yeah and i think you know, this is such a cool idea i think you and the team you know, kind of, it's kind of the masterclass concept, right? It's the, you know, learn from the best. Um, Like you said, if you want to get into RC racing, you know, there's probably nobody better out there than Dakota Fenn to tell you how to do it. And I think the production, I haven't watched the full series. I mean, this weekend I've got a real challenge. Now I've got (laughs) this masters of RC with Dakota and uh, need for speed. The new season of need for speed, the F1 series is, you know, coming out on Netflix. So I'm going to have, a, I think, a race-filled weekend uh, coming up uh, <laughs> yeah. soon. So, um, you know, it's really cool, though. I, th- I would certainly, you know, tell people that, yeah, even if you're not into RC racing, but if you're into this hobby, to hear about the process Dakota goes through and to hear it directly from him. And like you said, we're going to have other great people doing this as well. It's, it's yeah. really inspiring and engaging content. So uh, really, really cool. So... Um, yeah, and I think, you know, speaking of race weekend, depending on when people are listening to this too, we have Fontana this weekend. So That's right. yeah. it is really going to be a race filled weekend for all of us. <laughs> We're going to be, uh, you know, Michael McDowell's primary sponsor this weekend at the Fontana race. So if you listen to this before, uh, the 
20, what is the Sunday is the, the 26th. Uh, yep. uh, please check in and watch. And if not, uh, look afterwards for race results. And hopefully we see the horizon uh, Ford Mustang with Michael in victory lane out of Fontana. So that'd be, be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun to get to a NASCAR race, and it's it's really cool to see Horizon running around that track with all the other big names out there in the world. So yeah, uh, and it's, it's great too. Uh, you know, folks may not know it, but our our West Coast uh, facilities, yeah. we have uh, several employees out uh, in the Fontana area, so we're doing a an employee block as well. I think we have you know between employees and their friends and family, we're going to have like 140 people at the race. Yeah, uh, so it great. it really should be a cool weekend. And again, just make it a race weekend, watch the masters of RC, watch F1 on Netflix, and then watch NASCAR, uh, watch the horizon car on NASCAR at Fontana this week. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, in other news, the events world, obviously I mentioned that earlier, but uh, we just got back from both King of Hammers and Motorama. Uh, King of Hammers was massive, a uh, huge attendance this year, big event. That place is its own city. It's a city in the desert that just pops out of the dirt. Uh, or the sand, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a really cool event. We bring uh, Axio and Losi there, and uh, we talk to customers. We hang out. It's really cool racing. If you haven't caught any of our social media coverage, uh, you'll want to check that out. And in Motorama, you know, sixty thousand in attendance. This is up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's everything motors. <laughs> it's dirt bike racing, quad racing. It's car show. It's part robot war. It's part RC event. Uh, it's anything that if you're into this hobby, I can almost guarantee you'll have a blast walking around. So, uh, check that out. We also have some great coverage on that this year. Um, there's even a swimsuit contest. I mean, it's got it all. <laughs> so cool events. Um, we are a large sponsor of Motorama and have been for many years and, uh, continues to just bring people together, uh, that are in all walks of life, but all focused kind of around engines and motors and and stuff like that so really cool event excited to, to see that going um and then the last thing on my list chris is the is signature event so we we obviously put on a lot of cool events this year or every year uh going forward and we have all of those if you go to the horizon hobby website and you find our events section uh, it's actually in the top if you click on support and then rc events calendar um, you've got a whole list of events so we've got of course axial fest and our C-Fest, uh, both Axial Fest Badlands in Attica, starting in June, June 21st weekend. We've got our C-Fest, June 9th weekend. Uh, that's in Monticello, Illinois, same place as it always is. And then Axial Fest West out at Rob's Resort in uh, Pog Pines, California. That's July 19th weekend. Of course, those of you that are in Europe, we have our uh, Germany Air Meet. So that's, uh, that's going to be in Donauwörth, and that's August, August 12th weekend. And last but definitely not least, Proline by the Fire out in Apple Valley, California on the weekend of September 22nd. But in case you can't remember all those dates, go over to the website, check it out. Book your vacation now. You're going to want to come to some of these events. Yeah, I, I think you captured it right, Steve. I mean, these really are the events that Horizons put together that we want people to yeah know about in advance so they can literally book their summer vacations to be there. These are you know events you can go and camp at a lot of them you can you know go and, and spend multiple days just you know hanging out with with your friends and family so very cool i know i've already got all of the the, the signature events on my calendar for the summer so that's very cool <laughs> so exciting please check it out everybody yeah 
Well, it wouldn't be a Horizon podcast without talking about some products, Chris. What do we have new? We have uh, some sweet releases from Losi, I see. Yeah, Losi the last couple of weeks has has been on a roll. Um, you know, recently they uh, announced their scale version of the Polaris Razor Ray, as we're calling it. Um, it's basically kind of a one seventh size. I think they listed as one tenth, but it's really a lot bigger than that. It's probably more like about one seventh size. Uh, scale licensed replica of of the uh, Polaris Razor. Uh, certainly, you just talked about King of Hammers. I mean, that is that crowd. You know, is is really into their side by sides UTVs. Um, this is a beautiful version of it. There's a, a production version, a blue one that matches the uh, colors of the the full scale version. And then there's a special edition uh, Fox livery uh, that's orange and look has has Fox license on it as well. Really cool vehicle. If you're into side by sides, if you're a Polaris fan, I think this car goes about 45 miles an hour. Um, low C quality, of course, Spectrum Electronics. Really cool to check out. Um, and even you mentioned Hammer Town and, and King of Hammers. There was a kind of a uh, the 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 Razor Ray did a little special tour before it was even announced at King of Hammers. There's a great video of it kind of just cruising through Hammer Town um, for people to check out. And then just recently just this week um uh Losi followed up with the mini jrxt so last year we came out with uh, the mini jrx2 uh definitely uh throwing back to some of the original uh Losi, you know race vehicles back in the 80s going back to that heritage there was a great response to that vehicle and so we followed it up now with the jrxt which is, you know, and it's kind of funny now you look at these terms from back in the day. It was, uh, you know, the T was because it was a monster truck. Um, doesn't quite match today's monster truck definition. But, right. you know, it is for all of the people who bought the JRX, um, too, they're going to love this. It's a, it's a collectible thing. And we took collectability one level further with this one. We're making 5,000 units of this. And when they're gone, they're gone. Each truck is laser etched, I think, on the motor case. And... Um, or the motor mount rather. And, um, you know, we'll go great with your low seat collections. Maybe you had one and you don't have it anymore. This is a great way to get it. Or if you always wanted one and you didn't get one back in, in the late eighties, early nineties, now's your chance. So, uh, both of those products are going to be shipping pretty soon. Um, so if you haven't already gone and checked them out, you certainly should. Definitely. Yeah. Really cool to launches there. Losi's been knocking it out of the park lately and uh, yeah. really this whole Surface team, really. I mean, the, this next one I'm about to talk about, I'm excited about for Axial Fest. I, I think I may have to dedicate some time to build one of these, but Axial <laughs> recently uh, released the new SCX10 Pro Scaler. Um, this is really like a, a you know out-of-the-box competition-ready chassis. Uh, doesn't come with any electronics or tires or rims or anything like that, but uh, you know, it can be set up for... Um, uh, servo on the axle, servo on the chassis setup. Um, it's got you know underdrive rear axle. It's you can manually lock the rear axle. It's got the different chassis rails that you would need to be to set up your shocks and suspension differently. Um, you know it's, it comes with the aluminum smoothboard uh, shocks. It's got everything you would need to be pretty much competition ready out of the box. And to me, it's almost like if uh, if TLR got involved with crawling, it's what it would come up with. <laughs> yeah. uh, so really cool design here from the Axial team. 
And uh, quite frankly, I'm sure some of the guys on TLR probably helped out with the project if we were for being real honest, but maybe not. Um, but uh, yeah, really cool. So check it out. I'm definitely uh, planning on building one for Axial Fest this year. Um, and yeah, and those I think have shipped. Although I I think that one was really struck <laughs> well, and I I think you know we had a lot more demand than we even thought we would for it. But you know if you if you Go check it out. You want one? Probably if you didn't already order one, Steve, you're probably gonna have to get at the back of the line I think too. I'm have to you know, wait. Yep. <laughs> as employees, we're at the back of the line. But <laughs> right. I do know there's probably some out at your local hobby, you know, local hobby stores Definitely. for listeners. You know, check with your local hobby shop to see if they have have them in stock. And if not, go ahead and get one on order. We're gonna have more in soon, so get your place in line. But yeah, that is definitely the ultimate build. And I know, kind of unofficially, I think uh, Wyatt even went out and won a couple competitions with that vehicle before it was uh, officially released. So we definitely know it lives up to the comp um, competition level nameplate. So uh, very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, Steve, I think we've got a great guest today. We, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about the RC community. And we, we always kind of said, Hey, if you were out at the flying field or the track, this is somebody, you, you know, we, we, we get the opportunity to talk to the people that maybe our listeners would love to talk to and ask questions to. Um, this person uh, fits that definition probably as well as anyone can. We're yeah. really lucky today to have the executive director of the AMA, Chad Boudreau, with us today. So I think uh, let's go ahead and bring him in and let's let's hear what's going on with the AMA and uh, what's going on to build this great hobby that we all share and love. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so today's guest has been with the AMA for over 12 years. And for the last five, he's been the executive director. Like many of us, he was introduced to the hobby as a child and has been a passionate advocate of model aviation ever since. Since starting at the AMA, he's collaborated with the FAA on several issues impacting model aviation and all in the name of championing this beloved hobby. We're excited to spend a little time today with Mr. Chad Pedreau. Welcome to the On the Horizon podcast, Chad. It is great to see you today. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for inviting me, Steve and Chris. All right. Well, thanks for being here. I think we'll go ahead and hop right in. Um, and like a lot of times, let's start at the beginning. How's that sound? Um, I kind of mentioned that you got introduced to the hobby at a young age. Um, who got you into the hobby and, and what did you get started with? You know, I think my hobby or my, my background similar to most members. Uh, it was my dad. My dad flew control line. And uh, that's when I got introduced to the hobby. And we did get into RC as well. Um, we had a Cub. We had a helicopter. And back in the day, that was <laughs> extremely unwieldy. I felt like it lasted more than its made in flight. Uh, but my brother got into rockets. So I dabbled in that. I was big into trains, surface vehicles, cars, boats. We had a pond down the road. Um, so and like a lot of members and, and a lot of hobbyists and, and, and with Horizon, um, you know, once you start going into college and career and family, sometimes it's harder to find time for those hobbies. But I was able to kind of latch on to some of those. And when I came to AMA, it, it allowed me to marry both my hobby and a career. So it's exciting to get back into it. Yeah, we, we do see that. I mean, Chris and I talk about all the time where a lot of our customers, a lot of hobbyists in general, um, definitely start at a young age due to a family member or a friend, uh, but somebody typically gets them into the hobby through some sort of uh, activity, whether it's a first flight, a control line flight, a go to an air show, somebody brings them into the hobby and sparks that aviation yes. uh, enthusiasm. So, 
So Chad, the talk about what obviously intrigued you about aviation, model aviation in particular, that made you want to pursue a career later in life. Obviously, you've had uh, other jobs before you came to the AMA, but what was it that really said, you know what, I want to work in this industry? The fact that this is a hobby that I grew up with and I enjoy, and this marries all my training. I, you know, a couple degrees in political science and communication and marketing, um, and and so this was an ideal situation. I mean, how could I not <laughs> accept this this position uh, to be able to work in an environment that's also an environment that I love as a hobby? So um, it, yeah, as Chris mentioned, twelve years ago, the opportunity presented itself, and I jumped on it. How could I awesome. not? Okay, so Chad, you mentioned uh, you know the being able to marry really your your passion for model aviation with your career. So I have to ask, you know, what sort of modeling or flying are you doing today, or what even maybe more specifically, you know, if you were going to go fly this afternoon, you know, what's kind of your go to plane right now? You know, so that's the thing about this hobby, and and you look at the Horizons product line; it's it's diverse. There is a lot to get into this hobby, and I've been. Starting to dabble into some free flight, not successfully. So I, I've been for quite a while trying to build a dynamo. I'm up there, I have a little A-frame pusher I built. I have a little uh, one with a uh, PWO 20 engine free flight model. Uh, but my go-to is uh, it's right off frame. There, it's it's an icon. It's it's a Horizon icon. Um, I just really enjoy that that model. It's a great model. Um, and in fact, I'll confess, I haven't flown it in a while. Um, and uh, one of the staffers was like, you know, that model would look nice if you hang it from the ceiling. But I know if I do, oh yeah, I'll, I'll never bring it down. So it's sitting on my desk right there uh, just to tease me to say, hey, get out there and fly. Yeah, that, that's probably, you know, one of the things I think uh, it's kind of the flip side of what you said earlier. You know, we're all very lucky and fortunate to be able to kind of blend our, our hobby with our career. But then at other times, though, you know, it still is a job. And so sometimes it is hard to just say, yeah, I'm just going to go fly today or I'm just going to go, you know, bash around with my my arm, a truck or whatever. Uh, or maybe right. sometimes, you know, after you've been at work all day, it's kind of like, well, maybe I need to do something else uh, for a little bit. But uh, it, it's great. And I think for those of us in the Midwest, it's also we're kind of hopefully getting to the end of winter. And that always makes me start my list of all my fun outdoor stuff that I, I, I want to do. I've tried flying off snow and we don't get a lot of snow here. It, it, it's a challenge. <laughs> it can be done. Um, but you're right that this is a build, this is time for building. And, and a lot of times this is when I work in, in the basement on my train set and some others There's a big yeah. train swap meet coming up uh, actually this Saturday. So um, it, that's, there's always something to do with the hobby. That is, that is for sure. So, um, well, maybe let's talk a little bit about AMA. You know, we know that um, if for those who are listening, if you're into model aviation, um, you can't really go anywhere without hearing about the AMA community. Um, but Chad, maybe you could give our listeners, maybe some of those who are new to the hobby or maybe they're more surface customers or, you know, some rock crawler guys out there going, I don't know what this AMA is. Um, maybe you can just give us a little bit of background about the AMA and, and kind of what, what the organization does over there. Sure. So we are a mission-based organization. And uh, I'll give the real quick backstory. Um, model aviation really took off at the turn of the century, meaning the 1900s. 
And uh, there were clubs that were forming. There were clubs that predate AMA, and, and they would start having competitions. Uh, but the challenge was the St. Louis Club and the Chicago Club weren't necessarily playing by the same the same guidelines or rules. And they were like, well, we do our competition this way or that way. So AMA birthed from that. We actually uh, we were created at the 1935 Nats, and we were established in 1936 um, just to create some unity among hobbyists. Uh, and of course, we have since grown to much bigger than that, more than just competition. We have an entire education department that gets models into the hands of kids in classrooms across the country. We have a beautiful museum just across the street where we preserve and protect and tell the story of model aviation. We have an advocacy team. We have a club team. We have a competition team. Uh, our goal is let's grow the hobby. Let's let's explode the hobby so it, it could be the biggest sport within um within the united states so that that's who we are um and that's part of our mission within ama yeah it's uh it's a it's a community like like chris said you can't go anywhere without hearing about it you go to you go to a club you go to an event it's it's a part of of the hobby and it's good to have um it's good to have a group such as the ama advocating for what we do whether it be safety uh, legislative relief or uh, assistance. Um, there's so many things that the AMA does, not just on that side of the house, but the education side to me is a huge piece. The integration that you guys have with uh, with various different folks and, and on that front, bringing people into the hobby, not only helps people like Horizon, but it really helps to grow the overall hobby um, as a whole. So, you know, it's awesome to see what the AMA does. I always try to keep up with what you guys are doing on social media when I uh, don't get to come and see you there in Muncie, but um, really, really good organization. And, and like I said, like Kristen, if you're in the surface side of the world, you know, you, there's really not something like this in that side of the house. Um, so it's it's kind of an interesting uh, organization in that, in that regard. So I guess when you started at the AMA, um, you know, what, I guess 12 years ago and five years now in your current position, um, when you started there, were you and it had, did you have any idea that you'd be a part of some of the, like the most impactful legislation affecting our hobby? Or when you started, were you just like, you know, I just want to work in the hobby? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think if I were to go to my ten-year-old self, uh, as I'm, you know, playing with RC cars or planes, and say, "Hey, you're going to be in DC, changing the future of, of this hobby," I, I think I'd be very. Um, very surprised like really (laughs) wow and uh so it is it's it's exciting but it's also very humbling um and it's also um it knowing that um we're on the front lines advocating for change and trying to trying to promote growth within the hobby and and sometimes that means um positively shaping regulations or removing regulations seems to be more on that side um it it just it, it it is it's humbling it's exciting it's um very honored to be in that role and um but no did i did i envision that no not at all but uh glad to be part of the team to do it. and it's not just me it's a whole team and it's a team that we look to other stakeholders i know horizon hobbies helped with with efforts as well uh to champion for this hobby and for growth of sure. the hobby so it's not a one-man team it's not a one organization team it's it's really a community effort yeah definitely yeah yeah i, I and that probably brings on a, a topic here you know probably something that's on a lot of customers minds probably some people listening to this podcast um 
you know, especially if you're into model aviation and you're listening to this, is certainly a remote ID. And, you know, certainly we didn't invite you on today to make this a, a conversation about legislation or uh, a remote ID, but it's certainly an important topic right now. And it, it's certainly um, on, on people's mind. Um, you know, it's important to really mention maybe how this piece of legislation, you know, will impact the hobby. So maybe a little more specifically, you know, from your perspective, you know, what do you think this is going to mean for model aviation and, and AMA having a major role in, in that community involvement uh, for model aviation? Our, our president, Rich Hansen, uh, made a comment maybe 10 years ago. Um, as regulations are really starting to, to ramp up, um, you know, he made it very clear. Our vision is um, we want members going to a flying field or any hobbyist going to a flying field or flying in their backyard and uh, being able to enjoy the hobby as they always have. Now, with that, there probably will be some more paperwork. There might be some administrative tasks. There might be a few boxes you now have to check. And that's what we're finding. Um, people are still able to get out and enjoy the hobby, but there might be a few more hoops you have to jump through, such as, uh, you know, registration, which isn't overly onerous, but it's, it's one step you need to jump through and remote ID is another step. Um, but the way we see registration or remote ID moving, um, where there's essentially a, a sphere of protection over known flying sites, uh, where you could fly, Today, as you always have there, without needing to purchase extra equipment or broadcast modules or, or jumping through extra hoops. Um, and if you do fly at a non-flying field, um, you would you would need to get a little module, but it's uh, the FA is indicating it shouldn't be more than maybe 50 bucks, which I know is still 50 bucks, but, um, but there's still some alternative ways of applying as opposed to just doing what's being done in some other countries like United Arab Emirates, where it's, they just ground everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, there's a few more hoops we have to jump through, but I think at the end of the day, especially at flying fields, um, it won't change at all. Fly yeah. with the models you always have, whether it's an old Carl Goldberg airplane or my Icon A5. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, people that initially heard hear about this are like, oh my gosh. But when you think about where a lot of people fly, not everyone, and we know a lot of other people do not fly at, at right. Frias. A lot or, of our members or, don't. Yeah, a lot of AMA members don't. I know that's a statistic you guys even discuss uh, publicly where it's like a lot of our members don't go out to actual flying fields. They go in their backyards. They go to the local park where they can. Uh, years right. ago, that was easier than it is even today. But um, but it's important to know that you know those fields are going to become probably even more important and vital to our community growing and evolving. Great. Which brings up a whole host of other questions, but it's really important to note that uh, you know there's always a there's going to be a place a safe harbor so to speak to fly and to continue doing what you do and love in the hobby. And there's a, still a methodology of doing it elsewhere. It's just going to cost you just a little bit initially, um, but hopefully that will be that price point will come down over the course of time as well as that technology evolves. And you know it's 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 evolving too. Um, you know, the, the final rule has been set and rulemaking is a lengthy process. So the FA can't just open up a Word document and change the rule. <laughs> sure. But um, but there's still ways you could shape the rule positively. And I mm. think you'll continue to see other solutions being proposed to, to make it uh, less onerous for the, the community. Okay. Well, a big part of the AMA um, is supporting clubs. Um, you mentioned that a little bit. Steve alluded to it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how AMA supports clubs and what it's doing to maintain those clubs around the country. As you mentioned, now 
you know, that's probably the easiest place for people to just go and interact is to just go to their clubs. So how, how's AMA supporting those clubs and helping grow ultimately them out there? Yeah, you're right. Clubs are a, a great place to get introduced to the hobby. Um, it's a safe location that, that is established and there's a community to support and challenge each other and train each other. Um, so we're very much bought into supporting our clubs. And, and, you know, earlier I talked about, we have different teams and we have an entire clubs team, uh, dedicated to helping our clubs. And, and I look at even last year, some of the things we rolled out to help our clubs, we rolled out, um, a new club award program. I, I mentioned earlier, there are clubs that predate AMA. So we want to celebrate our clubs and, and recognize them. So, so we launched that last year. We launched a new club management portal for club officers. If they want to go in and manage their roster or identify introductory pilots to train new members or hobbyists, anyone from the community. Um, and, and to handle other administrative things, we launched that portal. We ha- uh, redesigned, which required a complete back-end restructuring of searching for flying sites. So if you go to our website and you say, hey, I want to find a flying site that allows for helicopters or turbines or drones, or I want a grass runway, or I want something that maybe allows for, maybe they have grills even, uh, you can get that granular now and do a much more in-depth club search. And we rolled that out last year, uh, the FRIA uh, process for remote ID. We we earmarked uh, 3,500 staff hours this year to get that done. And um, that's a forecast. It may take more than that. And I think it probably will take more than that. But uh, to fulfill that, we hired some temp staff uh, to make sure we get that accomplished. So that's that, the clubs are definitely an area we want to continue to invest in and grow uh, and support. It's an important part for the hobby. Yeah. And, and with that, Chad, talk a little bit about, you know, AMA recently was identified as really the first FA recognized community-based organization. Um, obviously, that has to do with a lot of our, a lot of the clubs out there, but what effect does that really have at a broad level uh, for the AMA? Um, I imagine it gives obviously a good bit of credibility within the FAA, but you know, what else does it do, I guess? And if somebody's coming in and goes, what, what is a CBO and what does that matter? Well, I think it, it does a, a couple things. You're right. It, it, it establishes credibility that this hobby is an important hobby and it deserves congressional and FAA recognition that, that this hobby is, is an important part of the aviation space. But it gives us a seat at the table with FAA. And uh, FAA has worked with AMA in the past. Um, we even worked with the Department of Commerce back in the 1930s before there even was an FA on creating regulations uh, and, and promoting growth within the hobby. But this codifies that relationship. This sure. tells the FA that if you are going to consider amendments or changes or new regulations, even if it's t- tweaking how registration's done, AMA has to be part of that conversation. And AMA has to help influence that decision. So it gives us a seat at the table and it codifies that. It's no longer us knocking on the door of the FA or the FA saying, hey, we'll let you in. It's no, AMA has to be there. So gotcha. I, I, that's very good news. Yeah, that was huge news. And that was November of last year that that came to light, I believe. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So not, not, too, not too long ago, really. It's kind of a new thing. And I'm not aware of any other recognized CBOs, although I could be wrong. Um, I don't know if you there, know, there's been a couple. There are a couple okay. out there. And, um, you know, the CBO model is something we advocated for, I believe maybe even before my time. Um, mm. This is about a 15-year process wow. 
where um, back in 2007 or so, the FA started expressing interest in wanting to regulate uh, the hobby. And uh, we said, you know what, that that task should be delegated down to established communities such as AMA um, and, and let them take a leadership role in that. So that's really where the idea of a CBO was established. And, and then the 2012 FA reauthorization bill, um, we first kind of got it referenced in some, some notes within congressional documents, and it was codified in 2018. And as you mentioned, it, it came to fruition last year. Wow. Well, um, one of the things that you mentioned was FRIAs. Um, for those that are not really sure of what that is, obviously it's a FAA-recognized identification area. Um, you know, you've been requesting that on behalf of clubs, I guess is the proper way to say that. But how is that process going? Are, are all clubs included? Is it something that has to kind of be an individual basis? Or is it because that we are now a CBO, they're all kind of included? How to, talk about a little bit how that works. Right. And so, and this is new for everyone. It's new for us. It's new for the FAA. Um, we're all kind of figuring this out together. But as the FAA has, has clarified in the rule and in, in follow-up meetings, they really want these uh, fixed flying sites to be managed by community-based organization. Uh, and, and I'll back up to talk about remote ID. This really was a, a national defense homeland security driven initiative. Um, they really wanted to ensure that anything that flies squawks and uh, the FA heard our case and, and they said, you know what, we think that might be a little too much. Let's find some compromises. And where Department of Defense Homeland Security said, all right, we'll agree that at flying sites that are managed by community-based organization, those are low risk. Um, there are safety procedures in place. They're not a threat to national security, um, but it does need to be managed by a community-based organization. Um, but that doesn't mean all of our clubs get instant protection. Gotcha. There is an application process, which is why we have a whole team to do that. And, and step one is we reach out to our clubs one-on-one and work with our clubs to say, hey, let's, let's map out the airspace you need. Let's narrow down what model aircraft you'll be flying. Let's talk about mitigation steps. And then uh, the FAA requires us to submit that on behalf of the club. So then we actually gotcha. submit it to the FAA. Um, and then the next step is the FAA acquires this massive list of FRIAs, and then there's a vetting process. And mm-hmm. so they have a team on their end where they review and assess each one and say, yes, 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 yes. Um, and then we get approved. Uh, that process uh, probably won't start until this summer. So AMA has already been hard at work on this since last year, getting these submitted. But the FAA indicated they probably will not start the review process for a few more months. So it's kind of a hurry up and wait situation. It's interesting because the, I guess the remote ID requirements in September for, for yes. users. So that's going to be a tight timeline line. And anything about government I know is usually not a, not a fast paced scenario. So that's interesting. And, and since <laughs> this is a department of defense driven initiative, um, I don't see the FAA having much latitude in extending the deadline. Right. <laughs> you know, if this was just an FAA initiative, they'd be like, Hey, we, we need another year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the military or Homeland security says, Hey, meet this deadline, you, you meet that deadline. So um, they're, it, it, the FAA's hinted. They, they, they're worried about meeting that deadline, sure. but I think they're going to do their best to honor it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. That'd be, that'd be interesting to see. I know everyone's keeping a close eye on that, including you guys. So um, the other question I had regarding kind of 
clubs was um, when you guys are working with, you know, FAA safety risk management to op- to obtain higher altitude flight. You know, as as those of you that don't know, they're listening. Uh, Four hundred feet is kind of our our cap, but as many of you may know, a lot of our planes can break that pretty quickly. Uh, turbines, uh, big sailplanes, that sort of thing. Um, so what about that process and how does that really work and, and what, what kind of things are, is the AMA doing to support certain clubs in certain areas to be able to obtain that higher altitude window, I guess? Right. So there, there's two or three approaches we're working on. Uh, you mentioned safety risk uh, management panels. That's where we work on a case-by-case basis. And this okay. kind of goes back to that comment Rich Hansen, the president, made that you'll be able to fly as you always have, but there's probably going to be some administrative things we need to complete some I's we have to dot and T's we have to cross and that's one of them Mm -hmm. uh, where we sit down with an entire panel so we we work side by side with the club for that particular flying site and then across the tables the FAA uh, air traffic control the airport other airspace users we've had airliners like Southwest and American Airlines at these meetings and they raise their concerns hey we're concerned about x y and z and then we respond saying well Here's why we don't think those are threats, and here's mitigation steps. And then at the end of the day, and sometimes it's a multiple-day exercise, um, DFA will will draft a report and will say, yep, we agree. And so far, they've agreed with everything. They've said, yeah, you know, that club is not a risk. They can continue flying at 2,000 feet or whatever altitude they need. Um, And then – but I also recognize that that is an extremely lengthy process to go through every flying site. Yeah. So uh, we hope to have some news here very soon where there may be some more blanket announcements where good. Uh, clubs that maybe meet th- this criteria or fly in this type of airspace just automatically get granted these altitudes. And I think yeah. we're like that close to making some of those news. Well, maybe it'll be – I just saw actually this morning, I think I came through it yesterday, but the, they opened up the Lance system for night flying for recreational yes. flyers. Uh, I just got that email from the FAA and I passed it along to the team here that I work with. And, you know, maybe there's a format for that in the future. But yeah, I, I do think the FAA, you think, oh, nothing's happening. and But there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And it's good to hear that that particular argument or, or discussion has, has good legs to be resolved in the future because it is a big, uh, important piece when it comes to even certain events that are getting impacted like uh, oh, yes. Florida Jets and that sort of thing where they're closer to airports. They really can't keep certain things under 400 feet after you know, for more than three seconds and then uh, you've got a problem. So it's good to see that there's some, some changes well, coming. And that's our argument. In some cases, it's less safe to stay under 400 feet. (laughs) True. Uh, You mentioned Florida jets. Um, It it creates risk if we're capped at 400 feet. So, um, and the FAA uh, recognizes that and they are finding some solutions. The government, by design, was not designed to act swiftly. And so it's sometimes easy to villainize Congress or the FAA. Uh, to say, man, they're taking forever. Um, you know, the CBO model we proposed took 15 years to get to the finish line. But uh, the founding fathers, their attitude was, we don't want government to be able to act too swiftly and, you know, take over people's homes and make swift regulations. There, it needs to be slow and methodical. And there's good benefits to that. And there's <laughs> some bad <laughs> consequences for that. So, sure, sure. Um, but I, I do think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, this, this is really great, Chad, and I'm sure people listening greatly appreciate this insight into just how much work and how many layers there are to, you know, the involvement the AMA has had and the industry has had with doing the right thing. 
um, with the government. And I think even your last point there about just, you know, yeah, it's probably not necessarily, we, we always complain about the government being slow. That's kind of a, a standing joke, but you're right. I mean, we probably would rather have that than them move too fast and you know make rash decisions because of some crazy thing that happened. And so it is really informative um, to, to get some of this insight into just everything, all of the management that's going on and work that's going on, you know, to, to keep this moving forward. I, I guess it also makes me think, though, a little bit, you know, more uh, kind of proactive into the, the hobby. You mentioned, you know, being at safety panels with Southwest and things like that, which made me think also just about AMA does a lot of work in our community um, outside of the hobby community to get uh, people into this hobby and things outside of our industry. You know, again, a lot of people aren't going to ever accidentally show up at a flying field because they're usually in pretty remote areas. So, you know, you guys have to go out just like we do parts of that too, to kind of evangelize the hobby. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, some of the community involvement you have outside of the traditional uh, hobby world and, um, admittedly trying to maybe pivot us off of, uh, maybe people going, you've lost me in regulations. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting things. I mean, to me, the highlight for, for horizon, you know, one of the big highlights each summer is always EAA, the Oshkosh show where we blend the hobby and, and, uh, you know, full scale aviation together. Maybe you could just talk about some of the things that, you know, AMA does to, to really get the word out there, if you will. Well, that's a perfect example. Uh, Air Venture, we roll out our sim trailer, which has real flight on it. That's a great gateway, a tool to get people into the hobby. And people who are going to events like that are already have some interest in aviation. So while they may not be able to fly that that Ford Tri Motor, uh, <laughs> they could fly a model and they can get out and they can enjoy aviation. Um, and so we take advantage of those opportunities, whether it's the biggest air show in the world, Oshkosh, or a local air show down the road. We bring that sim trailer everywhere. Uh, but we also go to other events like RCX. There's a big uh, trade show in California. And so we're sending staff to that event uh, to evangelize air sports and, and the hobby and to promote that. Um in education, you know, I reference our education department. That is a great way to introduce people to the hobby. And it just sparks that interest. It's a great teaching tool to talk to everything you want to talk about with STEM. And we even use the, the, the acronym STEAM. We add A in there because there's an art component to it. Um, but we've that, that inspires a lot of people to get into the hobby. Uh, kids get excited about school and then they think, hey, I want to do this outside of class. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great segue to, um, you know, maybe let's let's talk about the fun of the hobby here. I mean, while, you know, the good news is folks like you and, and to some extent folks like us uh, spend a lot of time on things like regulations and, uh, you know, stuff like that so that our, our uh, community members can just enjoy the hobby, hopefully. And like you said, maybe there's a little extra paperwork, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's not holding them back. So, you know, what, what would you say on a broader scale has been your favorite project or favorite thing you've been able to work on um, during your time at the AMA? Wow. You know, I think what gives me the most energy here is our mission. And when I sat down with um, various council members 
and we'll start brainstorming, you know, what, what does the hobby look like? What should we be doing? What are some of our goals? How can we, how can we reach a million youth by 2024 and get them hooked into the hobby or introduce the model aviation to them through steam curriculum? That sort of stuff. I love, um, I love hearing stories uh, or getting excited about some of the successes from our members, um, and just hobbyists in general, whether it be pilots, you know, we talk about pilot shortage. This hobby is the cradle to bring more pilots to the airspace, more engineers, more scientists, more educators. So the father of space plasma physicists says it's because of this hobby is why I took a career down that. And I don't even know what space plasma physicist means, but it, he points to this hobby saying that got me in, inspired. So thinking of some of those mission-based projects, thinking how can we continue to inspire that next generation is what gets me excited. And those are the projects that I, I love working on. Yeah. Yeah, that that's really great. And you're right. I mean, I think those are my favorite moments is when you, you, you talk to someone and they say, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm a United pilot now. And I got right. my, my, and they always tell you what their first plane was too. My first airplane <laughs> was a boom, you know, insert, insert answer here. Or, uh, you know, it was a blade helicopter. I hear that. I, I'm amazed by, a, you know, certain, there's a certain age group that, you know, they're, they're all like, yeah, I got into this yeah. hobby because I, I got a blade helicopter and, you know, now I'm a, like I said, a pilot for an airline and, you know, it, it's cool. I'll be wearing, you know, a shirt like this at an airport. And I'm amazed that people come up to me and will share that story. It's, it's pretty remarkable. So yeah, it's definitely one of the gifts of, of the job. That's one of those projects I'd love to, to really tackle. And I, we haven't quite figured out how yet, but you mentioned those stories. I, we seem to stumble across those stories all the time. And, you know, we think of notables like Neil Armstrong who points to model aviation. Um, but there are a lot of members doing exciting stuff. And I've had those moments too, where maybe I'm coming back from DC and I'm wearing an AMA shirt and the pilot stops me and says, Oh, I love the hobby. And, and yeah, I do X, Y, and Z, or I got started with this. Uh, the hobby is everywhere. Uh, it's amazing knowing how deeply rooted this hobby is. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've tried to, to highlight some of that within our, um, some of our um, publications and videos, but you're right. There's so many stories out there. We've got transmitter magazine that goes out to our customers every quarter that highlights various stories throughout the community. Um, we've got some videos online under our new, this is horizon kind of, uh, programming, which, which puts out videos about that. You know, we're starting to work with, you know, folks like, uh, you know, Mike Patey, RJ Gritter, who who came up through yeah. RC and is now flying full-scale aerobatics. Uh, I mean, we'll talk about a perfect story of RC to full-scale. Um, so it, there's just countless stories, and we're trying to capture a lot of that from our perspective of like, hey, this is what the community is. This is what RC does for the world, not just as yes. a small hobby. It's a it's a, it, I mean, it changed my life. It took me from RC to a career that I've been in for many, many years now that I love. Same thing for you, Chad and Chris, the same thing. I mean, it's, it's many of the people that work within our teams here at Horizon have share that same story. They started young, they had their parents or father get them in or a friend, and they made a career and a lifestyle out of it. We mentioned the, it's changing the world. I, I would even argue it's changing the universe. Uh, the Mars Ingenuity Helicopter was designed by hobbyists. The project manager was a long time and still is a long time AMA member and competitor. And, and why I love that story is 
he was introduced to model aviation in his sixth grade science class. A hobbyist brought a model into the classroom and said, we're going to learn about physics and we're going to use this model to teach you. He got hooked. And now he's flying model aircraft on Mars. So there's tons of great stories. And, and I really start capturing those stories and telling those stories in D.C. Um, and I want to continue that effort. I, I really think we need to better understand the positive impact of this hobby. Awesome. Well, um, Chad, when it comes to advice you'd give to a new hobbyist, right? There's a lot of people who, um, you know, start and there's so many things to learn, right? This is a complex hobby. Any way you slice it, there's so many things, whether it's radio setup or building advice, but ultimately a new guy comes to you and says, what do I do? What's, what's your go-to advice? So my advice is just be prepared to crash. You will <laughs> crash. And so, and Horizon has some great products. The, the Apprentice um, and and some of the other trainers they're they're designed to take some of those crashes. Um, and I remember when I would we'd have a new staff, and um, I'm not the best qualified to train. But there's been a couple of times I've taken staff out and said, "Hey, you know, you really should should get to learn this hobby. It's a, it's a great hobby." Um, but they're like, "Oh, I'll crash your plane." It's like that's part of learning is you learn from the school of hard knocks and. Uh, don't worry about that. I have a, a, a little beaver up there in the, and it's a float plane. So how I broke a prop on a float plane, I don't know, but that happens. <laughs> you know? Models yes. crash. And uh, that that's typically my first advice is part of learning is through the school of hard knocks. And yeah. that's the great thing about flying sites and mentorship is you, you put steps in place and you have coaching to ensure you reduce the, the severity of that. You know, Hey, we, we can salvage this model and we could keep this model going. And, um, you know, if, if you learn how to properly line up your landing, you have a much better success. Um, but that's okay. And, um, don't let that scare you. Mm -hmm. Put your hand, yeah. put your thumbs on the sticks and, and get out and fly. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah, that that's great advice. And I, I will say again, you know, I, and I started on the car side of things. That was certainly one of my big fears was, you know, well, I can't do this. I'm going to crash. And then, yeah, you're right. You need to realize that, yeah, you probably will. And it's okay. That's part of it. And it's kind of fun to fix them sometimes too. And that's usually, you know, again, that's a good opportunity too, to maybe, you know, upgrade a little something or, you know, kind of yep. really get into the hobby, you know, learn about, you know, what other propeller could you put on it or, you know, get a, get a, some better electronics or whatever you might want to do. So yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. Well, uh, another question, I guess, maybe for people who are newer into the hobby would just be, you know, what what sort of things should listeners uh, be doing to educate themselves um, or where could they find information on the AMA and what specifically maybe what the AMA is doing to protect the hobby? And like you said, to make sure they're getting their paperwork done and, and to, you know, to, to make sure they're they're ready to fly when they when they're when they're prepared. A club. Um and, and I, again, we talked about not everyone flies at clubs. And, and I think if you find a good, safe place to fly, you should be able to fly and enjoy that. Um, but clubs are a great resource. We have an army of volunteers who are ready to help. And when you multiply that, we have 2,500 clubs. Each club has an average of five club officers, one safety officer, typically a couple introductory pilots. You, you compound that. Now you're talking an army of maybe 15, 20,000 members who are raising their hand saying, I am here to help grow this hobby. Um, 
in members and, and people who are interested, even if you're not a member, you want to learn how to fly, take advantage of that army of volunteers. Um, they are, they are eager and willing to help you learn how to line up that, that landing and, and how to take off and the importance of wind and lipo charging and, and all the stuff that sometimes you don't think about when you first fly. Um, you know, I've made some of those mistakes. I didn't realize the importance of lipo battery safety. There's, you need a mentor to really kind of teach you that. And clubs are a great way to learn that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's also part of the fun, right? I mean, we've used the term community a lot in this conversation, and, and it's definitely one of the themes that drives a lot of what we spend our time on here. It's the root of what you do. Um, but, but it's a lot of what you get beyond whatever the box and the airplane you buy is, what you're really getting is kind of an invitation to a community, right? And yeah. um, clubs are a great place to, yeah, learn about, like you said, the basics, but also probably stuff you, know, you may not even know exists today. I mean, I'm I, even even our club here. I, I go out and every time I'm out there, I see something new and cool that I need to add to my list. And I work here, you know. And but there's still there's just so much cool stuff that you know sometimes you miss it. So um, I think you're right on. It's such a cool community to be part of. No, you're exactly right. You know, yeah, you, clubs have that training component, but that camaraderie. Um, the hobby is great. It's a great solo, and that you know during COVID. Um, we all saw a, a surge of people getting back into the hobby because it's something you can do safely and socially distanced, but to really enjoy this hobby, yeah, to find, to find friends and fellow hobbyists, uh, to challenge each other and to help each other. And even if it's just, Hey, let's grill a couple of hot dogs and let's spend a few hours just having fun. There's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I know, I think we're, we're kind of probably need to let you get back to to uh, educating uh, the community out there. But we always kind of, as we start to get towards the end of our, our talk with folks, we like to give them a little bit of an open, open mic moment to just, if there's anything you want to promote, whether it be a, an event or whatever, uh, AMA itself, maybe, uh, where can people go to learn about the AMA specifically? Um, it's kind of your time to, to speak directly to, to, to all those folks that are out there listening to this podcast. So we'll uh, kind of officially hand the mic over to you. <laughs> you know, I think uh, if you want to learn about AMA, uh, of course, modelaircraft.org. We have a very active social media channel, um, uh, YouTube channel, get engaged. But clubs are a great way to learn about the hobby, a great way to get exposed to a community, great way to learn how to enjoy the hobby. And even for your surface uh, viewers, um, our membership benefits extend to surface vehicles. And a lot of our clubs have courses, um, mm -hmm. whether it be for boats. I, I know a lot of clubs have even car courses, RC courses. Um, check out a club. Learn about the hobby. And we talked a lot about gov and regulations and various staffing and departments. Um, yes, AMA does a lot of that. We have insurance. We have a team here help to grow the hobby, but, um, it really is about fun. And, um, at the end of the day, get out and have fun. I, I think hobbies are important, um, for so many reasons, not just to inspire the next generation of pilots and engineers and scientists and teachers, but it's good for mental health. It's good for physical health. Uh, it, it's an important part that doesn't get talked about enough. Hobbies are important. Get plugged into a hobby. And this, I think, is the best one. <laughs> Plugged into this <laughs> hobby. Yeah, no, no arguments here. We, we both, uh, Steve, <laughs> probably will agree with that one too. But you're right. I mean, I think 
certainly over the last couple of years, it, I think that probably has new meaning to all of us, right? Of just how important all the things you touched on are, especially mental health and physical health and, you know, getting a break from just everything going on. So, right. um, yeah, and this is a pretty good one and, and a lot of fun, a thrill, um, a great way to meet some, some pretty cool, you know, people, um, and to just hang out. So well, Chad, it, it's really been a pleasure today. I was really excited when, um, Steve said you had agreed to, to join us today. It's, um, you know, we've spent some time together and I think even a trip or two to DC back yes. in, in the discussion, you know, earlier days. And we really do appreciate everything you and the AMA as a, as a whole is doing to keep this great hobby, um, you know, moving forward to get, like you said, new young kids inspired by this. A big part of what we try to do is, you know, is to inspire, you know, things that maybe people just dream of. I know I, we came out with the F, that F14 Tomcat recently and not to get, you know, give product plugs, but I mean, I just saw that and I just thought it made me want to be Maverick, right? You know, it's that like, <laughs> right. I'm never going to be Tom Cruise cool. Um, but, you know, for a moment I was like, hey, I can get a, I can get a taste of it. You know, I can, I can live a dream here. And that's, that's pretty cool. So thank you to, you know, to the AMA, everybody, you know, on your team and, and you, you as well for just being such great ambassadors for this, this hobby. Appreciate it. And likewise, appreciate everything Horizon's doing for, to grow the community and uh, glad to be here. Thanks again. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Chris. That does it for another episode of the On the Horizon RC podcast. You can find more information about the AMA in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you could, leave us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate it. It certainly helps the algorithms get this podcast out to more and more listeners. So thanks, everyone. We'll see you guys on the next one.